everybody, and welcome to Writing the Rapids. It's the show where I talk to writers about writing. Today on the show sees the triumphant return of B.R. Yeager, who reps Western Massachusetts. His previous book is Amygdalatropolis from Schism Press. He has two books coming out this year, Negative Space from Apocalypse Party and Pearl Death from Inside the Castle. You can find him on Twitter at B.R. Yeager. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash noisemakerjoe. There you can get things like flash fiction pieces no one's ever seen before, novellas no one's ever read before, and early access to podcasts. So without further ado, let's get right into the show. Welcome. Hey, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. So far, so good. Excellent. Excellent. So let's start by doing this like it's a real interview and uh, talk about your your new book, Negative Space. All right. Um, so it's, so it's uh, Negative Space is coming out on Apocalypse Party Press uh, to be dis- announced. Um, it's more along the lines of a uh, traditional horror novel um, than the previous um, and uh, it's always hard to describe uh, I haven't quite locked down what a uh, elevator pitch would be um, outside of essentially it's about uh, three teenagers in a New Hampshire town that's experiencing a suicide epidemic and they start taking this drug uh, that puts them in contact with uh, entities that no one else can see. So I have to ask if you've seen that either the documentary or the movie um, about that suicide town. Uh, What is the documentary called? Hold on. We're Googling it. Um, Brigand. No, 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 I haven't. Do you know about Brigand, the town? I, I do not. So oh, <laughs> that's awesome. That's super cool. So Brigand is a 2013 documentary. Uh, since 2007, dozens of teens and young people have been found hanged in Brigand, South Wales. Uh, most of them knew each other. They were friends, neighbors, cousins. Um, they just all go out to this forest and hang each other or hang themselves, I guess. Um, and then there was a Jesus Christ. There was a fiction movie made. Is it the same? Maybe the same name. Um. Yeah. And so there's a fiction movie of the same name, um, kind of about the same thing, and they had like a chat room component, like the, like the book does. That is incredibly bizarre. Yeah, I haven't heard anything about this. Um, yeah, that's very, very strange. I'll definitely look into that. Um, but yeah, I can't believe I haven't heard of that yet. <laughs> that's so cool. I'm glad that I get to be the first person to bring that up to you. Um, Absolutely. I'll definitely check that out. The, I guess, so I want to talk about it without getting too spoilery. One of the things I found funny and since you're the first person who's been on the show twice um, and I was listening to the episode before uh, I called you, I mentioned how your writing reminded me of Blake Butler and, and recently he's read and tweeted about Amygdalatropolis and he's blurbed negative space. So uh, I find I, I want to somehow take credit for that, even though I had absolutely nothing to do with it. <laughs> Definitely put it out into the air. Um, yeah, I think the last time that we spoke, I actually hadn't read him. And then mm-hmm. right after uh, the interview, I went and I got Sky Saw and I got uh, 300 million. Um, and yeah, I think 300 million is probably in my top five favorite books now. It's just uh, perfect. It, um, it's something else. Yeah, absolutely. It's pretty much the ideal of what I want in fiction, <laughs> essentially. Um, so yeah, it was having um, 
Ben DeVos over with a Apocalypse Party, reach out and get that blurb and seeing him uh, talk about Amygdala Tropolis has been cool and, and, and strange. Um, but yeah, he's been very uh, supportive and it's been very cool. And his work is terrific. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad. It's, so does, does Ben pronounce his last name DeVos? I, I'm not entirely not sure. Know? I haven't had... I, I've only read his name. Um, so there, it's one of those things of there's so many names that I'm probably pronouncing incorrectly, but because I've only read them online. Um, yeah. I, or I, ask, text. I ask because I, I live in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and there's the very prominent DeVos family. Um, okay. Which uh, gave all the money to Betsy DeVos, who's currently the uh, in the cabinet uh, secretary of education or whatever her title is. Yes, um, indeed. <laughs> to be fair to the rest of that family, well, not like I need to be fair to a bunch of billionaires, but she married into that family. Um, but mm. any, anyway, I asked because it's the same last name and that's uh, fascinating to me that there would, you know, obviously people uh, have different last names and they're from different like lineages, but it's right, you know, intertwined. Um, because because is it her brother um, who is the founder of Blackwater? I forget what that company is called now, but oh, I, I know that know. there is some relationship there. Ooh, let's look that up. Um. Eric Prince. Yes, right. Yeah, he was born in Holland, Michigan. So okay. he is at least connected. Yes, he is the brother of Betsy DeVos. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, the DeVos is... It's, it's interesting um, when... Because one of them died recently. Um, hmm. the, the patriarch died. And it was interesting seeing things on Twitter. People being uh, fairly glad that someone with the name DeVos had died. But uh, in Grand Rapids, uh, there were a lot of sad people. Um, like 20 years ago, uh, Grand Rapids was doing real bad. And basically D the DeVos family and the Van Andel family uh, poured an awful lot of money into it to get it to be where it is today. So the people who, um, you know, are now benefiting from that and weren't stepped on by it are pretty grateful to those families. Okay. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a long sort of sort of digression, but it's... I don't know. I, I, you know, the DeVos name is so intrinsically tied into my experience. It's, it's very funny to me that there's a small indie press named Apocalypse Party run by a DeVos, even if it's not of the Grand Rapids DeVosses. Right, right. That's, <laughs> no, that's funny. Uh. So when last we spoke, we, we sort of talked about your, your writing process physically, writing longhand and transcribing. Is that still your method or are you with us now in 2020 using keys? Um, for the most part, it's still uh, working longhand and then transcribing. Um, cool. Which, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's what I like about that still is that it's I think I may have talked about it before, but there's it's essentially another opportunity, just like another opportunity to take a pass at editing once I'm doing the transcribing um, helps it just clear out anything that may be a problem initially um, and immediately before I'm kind of bored with it. Mm hmm. I, I can dig it. Um, we we had talked before. Um, oh yeah, so so the reason I brought up Brigand, <laughs> let's let's go back ten minutes. Yeah, the reason yeah, I brought excellent. that up is because you did research with Amygdalatropolis, and so I was wondering if there's um, what sort of research, if any, you did going into negative space. That's interesting. Um, most of the research that I did for negative space uh, was more uh, along the lines of I did a little bit of research for some of the uh, internal texts that 
uh, show up um, talking about um, endosemiotics. Um, I'm not sure if you're at that portion yet. Um, and uh, other things just kind of surrounding um, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, a hormonal sens- sentience um, and people who've written a little bit about uh, a tree and fungal communication. Um, that was the most that I was doing in terms of research outside of uh, little things here and there just to kind of fact check and make sure that some of the things I was saying wasn't entirely bullshit. Mm. Um but it was much, much less. It was definitely less research intensive than Amygdala Tropolis. Uh, with Amygdala Tropolis, it was based entirely on research, whereas this was mostly based on um, either memories or um, personal experiences uh, or things I just made up. What sort of pre preparations or pre-writing did you do since there's a lot more characters and places and whatnot you there's a good sense of uh world building i guess that you could say oh cool thank you um well i mean i so this novel actually started as a short story that i had begun in 2013 um and i had done that um and it was resting for it was i was taking a break from it for a while um and then when i started returning to it um i was kind of realizing that at first i wasn't necessarily going to return to that specific short story um but a lot of the other things that i had uh been writing smaller pieces that i knew I wanted to have to deal with um, pretty much ghosts and the occult and grief um, and a small town in New Hampshire uh, because New Hampshire, I'm in Massachusetts, but New Hampshire is still kind of uh, still holds kind of a mysterious and romantic quality to it. It's, it's an interesting region. It's a little bit threatening, a little bit more verdant. Uh, So I, I don't know. There's something about it that seems like the perfect setting for, you know, a small town where um, horrifying things that no one really that that no one really wants to confront. Uh, it just seemed appropriate. Um, I might be forgetting the original question here, but um, it, it, it it all kind of emerged naturally uh, regarding the world building, um, and it was mostly just kind of out of a desire to want to create a space that felt lived in, that felt like an actual place, um, and then just kind of piecing that together uh, over time. Okay. Yeah, I understand. I I understand. And yes, you answered the question. <laughs> well, I, I, I <laughs> not always sure. I'm sure when I get ravelly, but the anyway, questions yeah. are less important than the answers are. I think. Oh, perfect. Uh, you know, with, with podcasts like this, people don't come to listen to me. They they come to listen to the people I have on. It's funny because that's like the exact opposite uh, philosophy that I try to uh, follow through with any of the writing that I do is that the answers aren't important, but Mm. making sure that there's some interesting questions there. Like ideally, I don't want to have like any answers in there because I always whenever I'm reading um, a book, particularly if it's uh, uh, genre or you see in horror the the worst the the part where everything falls apart is when you find out exactly what's going on um that's when you lose kind of the dread and the atmosphere and that's the thing i try to avoid and wish that more creators in that realm would try to avoid as well yeah because then it becomes a problem to solve right like when you know what kills dracula then it's just how do we go about killing dracula right absolutely absolutely um 
whereas you know you could have this ex- existential this bizarre um entity that is doing these things that are in conflict with one's understanding of the world and one's understanding of existence that's that's the frightening part not that it's a creature with these particular rules that one must abide by in order to get through yeah like i i guess that's sort of why lovecraft's work has endured despite all of the things about his work that are distasteful you know socially right like he he managed to capture that feeling right right absolutely um and that's i think that that's where a lot of the uh, work that is kind of piggy- piggybacking on his work tends to fail is that he try to explain what those gaps are um, and try to fill in the mythos a little too finely, a little too um, uh, precisely. Um, We're back. We had some minor, te- minor technical difficulties. I am now holding my phone up to a microphone. And uh, but we're still here. One of the things I wanted to ask you about that I found so interesting was the sort of diversity of the characters. Um, And they're, you know, uh, one of the characters seems to be sort of neuroatypical. There's some different sexualities going on. Uh, You're writing from the perspective of, uh, of a woman. Um, what is that like? That seems like, you know, in, uh, it seems like that can be sort of challenging. I know a lot of men have problems with it. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm not necessarily sure whether or not I can, uh, speak to whether or not I succeeded in any of those realms. Um, it, it mostly just kind of came about naturally, um, in terms of how these characters emerge, um, the the biggest pro- part of the my process with this book, or probably any of my writing, is um, just kind of letting my subconscious go and hitching myself onto anything that sort of seems to um, radiate that. You know, that thing that you can't really describe that seems like the thing worth pursuing. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I think I'm getting it. Um, and I, I it, it seems like what you're saying and correct me if I'm wrong, that there's just an element of, of letting go and not, and, you know, thinking of the characters as people and not as, right. like, you know, the autistic kid or whatever right exactly exactly um it it, it always have comes i i try to have it come from uh the character first uh with any of what they're doing or anything otherwise you do have to have like consciously have like there is that aspect of like you am i fighting against that inclination that he to fall into of kind of just doing uh, stereotypes or just trying to be like, oh, this is a shortcut for uh, a way for the reader to identify this person in a certain way, um, which I think just tends to flatten things out. Again, I'm not in a position to say whether or not I have been successful um, in avoiding that, but that's what the attempt is. Yeah, I I suppose I'm not really in a position to tell you whether or not you've been successful, but it seems to me that you have been uh, for for the very little that that's worth. I, one of the things I talked to C.V. Hunt about when I had her on a long time ago was about sort of feeling self-conscious about the subjects that you're writing. You know, you're, you, me, her, write some pretty dark stuff. Um, 
and and we talked about it last time you were on the sort of idea of audience and now that you have an audience to some extent um do you, what is you know do, do you find yourself getting self-conscious about writing you know anything that you're writing characters or situations or whatever um i mean it, it, it seems like at least kind of from what I've gathered um, from the people that I either interact with on Twitter or uh, in other um, scenarios is that the people who tend to um, like what I've written thus far uh, tend to be very uh, open about subject matter um, and don't really either are actively reading a lot of uh, darker works or are creating them themselves. Uh, So that thankfully hasn't been really something I've thought about or worried about, if if that's kind of what you're asking. uh, Yeah, you know, um, just... And I, I feel like since I talked to Carrie about it, I've sort of let go a lot of that fear of, like, what will people say about my writing? Like, I, there's... Um, but there's there certainly used to be, you know, topics or phrases, things like writing something specifically about depression felt like really strange to me, even though, you know, me, even though I like just about everybody else, it seems has experience with it in one way or the other seems, you know, trite or, you know, almost, almost cliche to the point of like writing about it seems seems like it would hard, be hard to be authentic. And I guess that's sort of different than what I'm asking you about. Um, but I guess if the answer is, you know, no, that you're not super worried about it, then that's kind of, that's got to be nice. Well, yeah, yeah, you're actually bringing up a really interesting point that I, I do think that is kind of going back to what I was saying about, um, you know, characters as stereotypes. It's also um, emotions and experiences turning into stereotypes. Um, and uh, I think what you're kind of talking about, like, you can, like, write about... Uh, I get the challenges that you one faces when writing about something that a lot of other people have written about. Like, um, I guess in this case, it's uh, grief and anxiety and trauma. And there's so much that's already been written uh, about that. Uh, so it's how, how do you keep yourself from... So that's something I have thought about. Like, how do I keep myself from falling into some of the same traps as... Uh, or falling into just describing things because it's the way that I've seen uh, grief or trauma described in other works as opposed to mining my own experiences or the experiences of my friends uh, to try to convey that. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's definitely been on, on my mind through the process of it. And I, I would definitely find in like earlier drafts um, places where I'm taking shortcuts. Or, or may, again, who knows? Maybe those have worked their way into uh, the final draft as well, but I never caught them. It's uh, There's always that aspect. You know? um, it has been interesting because I, I'm... I'm sure that's familiar for anyone who works for a very long time on any artistic project that you get to that point where it just looks like symbols uh, Mm -hmm. on the page. It's hard to look at it with any sense of objectivity. Um, I am very much into that portion where I, I look at any page. I'm like, I, does this work? I'm, I'm not sure, um, but it's too late now, so I have to just accept that. Um, Yeah. 
Uh, I, I think we've danced around it too much. We have to address it. Your your now famous uh, one star review. We yes, we, yes. we got to talk about it. <laughs> it's it's so great. One of the things I feel bad saying it, um, but this guy clearly took like spent more time with your book with with amygdala tropolis than i did uh <laughs> which i find so funny because uh we i think we span he and i the the gamut of experience with it i think i like it like amygdala tropolis as much as one can and i think he dislikes it as much as one can and uh but like yeah man the, so so uh if if someone for some reason is listening to this that doesn't already follow br jaeger on twitter uh do that and you posted a screenshot of a of a one-star review for amygdala tropolis that is almost as enjoyable to read as the book itself i think because it's so spot on it's beyond parody it's essentially a post that you would see in the book yeah, I think, you know, that it's it's rare that someone gets a one-star review on a piece of art um, because the art is too successful. Mm. <laughs> well, thank you. Like this, uh, this kid who clearly has never kissed anybody in his life and has an anime profile picture, uh, you know, is like... I don't know like the fact that he's like i looked him up and he looks jewish too is is such a great line um, absolutely absolutely plus like my last name is like hebrew so like there's that too <laughs> oh, okay well jaeger to me is, sounds german so i i imagine you're german but i suppose if it's hebrew it's then then he's got something He's got something there. Right, right. Uh, no, it was just very funny coming across that and the response to it. Um, I think it was uh, uh, Jacob C. Frank um, who was saying, uh, you know, came before reads to make the Latropolis, gives it a one star review, and that's pretty much yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. You know, and as far as like bad reviews go, it's it's kind of nice. So yeah, I don't I don't know, like, cause I imagine you're the uh, the the Goodreads sort of um, page looks pretty pretty positive for that book. Um, I haven't actually looked at it, but I mean, like, yeah, it's got four stars on Amazon. Um, one, one of the things I wanted to bring up, and this kind of goes along with it, is the fact that you are now getting a decent amount more attention uh, since the last time we talked. Um, at least that's what it seems like to me. Is that what it seems like to you? Um, I mean, I, I definitely... I mean, it's always strange to talk about that and because um, perspectives can become, you know, out of whack. Um, I think I think what had happened was that it had enough time to have circulate. Um, yeah, no, it, it does seem like there's uh, more people who have gotten their hands on it and. Um, that it's resonated with them, which is obviously great, but also very strange too, because I have was expecting there to be nothing. Um, yeah, but yeah, it, it, it's. Uh, I mean, the best aspect of it has been that just being able to. Uh, meet and interact with lots of people who are doing really interesting things uh, in in writing and in fiction and non-fiction uh, or whatever art that they're doing and it's and kind of seeing the word term community is overused and used misused so often uh, 
feel like that there's kind of a group of people who are making uh, strange and challenging uh, art uh, and are really into supporting each other, uh, which I'm sure that was there, but I was kind of, I didn't necessarily have access to um, before Megalotropolis, or not that I didn't have access, I just didn't know where to seek that out. Um, So that's been the coolest thing about that. Definitely. That's sort of something I've been wondering about recently, too, is whether or not the community is forming or if I've just figured out where to see it. Um, because... Uh, for myself, I'm, just, I'm pretty much guessing that it's something that I found rather than it's something that happened to form just as I was paying attention to it. But, uh, I, I mean, it feels like a... It's a fluid thing uh, that's always seems to be changing and growing. Uh, I mean, just in this past year, um, just looking at how many people are announcing that they have books coming out now that look really cool and exciting. Um, it, 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 seemed, it does feel like there's something in the air, something that's cooking right now. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. It feels like something's cooking. Well, and when I started paying attention just a couple of years ago, it felt like it was weird because like HTML giant had just kind of collapsed and um, like I started paying attention to the term alt lit just as soon as like it was kind of falling apart. And now that's not even, you know, part of the vernacular anymore. But, uh, you know, places like neutral spaces popping up are definitely useful uh, to sort of growing that. Absolutely, absolutely. Like, um, that's been just kind of, a, I, I still kind of feel more on the, not because of anything external, uh, mainly just because I've been uh, an audience more for than a participant with neutral spaces, but that's been just a such a cool thing to see sprouting up and seeing people really take advantage of that platform uh, and seeing a lot of real kind of people who are new to it uh, really flourish with the platform and kind of using that as a base to build from, which I think, which it seems that that was the intent all along. Um, Yeah, absolutely. I know for sure that I get... um more response when I post you know when I tweet something about something I've posted there than I did when I tweeted about you know some literary magazine that actually has editors and stuff you know posting a piece of my work so it it, it sort of has um, subverted the the process or at least streamlined the process absolutely absolutely and there does there does seem to be a, a bigger ecosystem of um, stranger, uh, extremely online, um, in the best way possible, um, literary magazines and websites uh, now than there was necessarily uh, three or four years ago. Uh, I, I remember when I was hunting around for uh, to submit short fiction and poetry to uh, places, it was kind of challenging to find uh, outlets that had a resonant aesthetic. Um, And now it just seems like there's so many different opportunities out there. Um, Like Surfaces is doing terrific, terrific stuff in addition to neutral spaces and I'm not very familiar at all with Sludge Lit. Have you been following them at all? It's a name that sounds familiar, but I don't think I've ever looked into it at that's, all. That's a kind of an offshoot of uh, Surfaces. Uh, Anthony Dragonetti, who uh, is one of the co-editors with uh, Surfaces, uh, has this uh, online literary magazine called Sludge Lit, which is just terrific. The whole premise is essentially is that we want your garbage that no one else would possibly want. 
So you'll let your unfinished stuff, your notes, your like rough drafts for tweets, uh, and we'll publish on here. Uh, the layout, it looks like an old uh, GeoCities fan page, uh, complete with like ads for porn and stuff like that. It's, it's just really terrific. It's just it's taking sort of an aesthetic of garbage and just running with it, which I think is just delightful and excellent to see. Um, and so I, I guess that's another aspect that there's a lot of playfulness that I see emerging that I wasn't really seeing maybe like three or four years ago in some of these uh, corners. Yeah, I'm looking at it now, and oh my goodness. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting to see that waxing and waning. Um, one of the movie podcasts I listened to is talking about how like all the kids that grew up in the 80s are now finally becoming directors with actual budgets, and that's why you see so much Stephen King stuff now because you know the people who who grew up on that. Um, finally have the platform to do it and it seems like for writing as well the you know the people who grew up on GeoCities fan pages and live journal and whatever else um, and are nostalgic for that sort of thing now all know how to code and know how to how to write things that are you know people want to read and and so you're it's this like dialectic pathway into time Right, right, absolutely. And, and uh, finding with like a lot, of, like not to sound like the old man in the room, but uh, seeing a lot of the young, like younger writers, and by that, um, folks who are in their early 20s who have, you know, a, a more immersive relationship with the internet, I think, than. Um, necessarily that I had because I, I don't think I had the internet until I was maybe uh, 12 or 13 as opposed to kind of being born into it. Um, I'm just seeing the writing that some people are doing where um, you know, where the how do I say this? Uh, where the the traversal between uh, physical space and digital space is just so fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is so cool to see. Like that's kind of the stuff that really makes me excited. And it's like, how can I uh, harness some of this? Where it's like, it's just a different mindset. Like with, with something like Megalotropolis, I feel like there's. You know, there's a little bit of that, but it's still broken up into these segmented things. I think that that's just a reflection of my own experiences, my own uh, relationship uh, to the internet, um, based upon just how I, I spent uh, maybe a quarter of my life having grown up without it. Uh, but then you have lots of people. I'm going to just name drop um, the other. Uh, editor for Surfaces, Mika. Uh, she just dropped this zine called Psy Mortar. Um, and not even necessarily specifically that, but uh, she has other writing where it's just the... Uh, it's just so cool just seeing how people are describing uh, the clash and integration between physical and digital spaces. Uh, just very cool. It's all just really inspiring. I agree. Yeah, and there's just so much of it too. I mean, I, that's you know, the other thing. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> one of the things you said in in the last interview is that you feel like you're constantly falling behind, and oh yeah, and that's that, that hasn't let up. <laughs> no, I'm sure not. <laughs> it's uh. And I, but I'm also trying to be. I think I'm succeeding a little bit in being feeling more comfortable with that. Yeah. Um, just accepting that. And part of it has been. I think when we talked before, I was still in a position where um, I was thinking. You know, like I also want to do some criticism and do some. Uh, 
essay writing. And since then, I've kind of realized that I, I'm not very good at that stuff. Mm. And I don't have to be. Um, I don't necessarily have to be an expert on the English canon um, to, you know, write what I want to write. Um, and I think that that's, you see a lot of people who, my, and myself included, uh, you know, put a lot of pressure on themselves to be sort of an expert in what has come before them and is what is happening contemporarily. And I don't know, it's just kind of unnecessary. Like, it's it's cool having your personal canons and um, having the work that has an impact on you, so, you know, or that comes into your orbit, um, kind of being incidental. Um, and just, like, allowing it to wash over you rather than necessarily, you know, check off the boxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's... it's um... It, it does seem to be that struggle of, you know, your your writing professors will tell you to, that you need to learn the rules so you can break the rules or, or whatever. And there's that like, well, how many of the rules do I even really want to spend time learning uh, be- right. before I break them? And, you know, I'm of the mind that it's always better to to read more than less and to, to write more than less. But... But yeah, it, it's interesting to see the people who want to like really, really reject it, and and the people who are sort of in between that. Like, no, I'm I am going to read the amazing Ambersons because I should. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. But it, it it does seem that at the end of the day, be, becoming comfortable with where uh, you fit into all of that is kind of the, the quickest path to um, just being able to write what it is you need to write. Right. Um, I, I mean, the whole like, I, I, writer as an identity is a good thing to kind of come to terms with and discard, I think, as soon as possible. Um, because, I, I mean, that's just a, a march to death when it's you know, it's too wrapped up with. If one gets like too wrapped up with the idea, concepts around what a writer or an artist or what anyone is doing, a craftsperson, um, what they should be, that's getting in the way of actually doing the thing and doing the thing from a place of truth. Yeah. Yeah, it's. So, so that makes me think about uh, David Lynch and him talking about the art life and it's the idea of the art life is sort of like stuck in my head as this aspirational thing and there's that idea that you should spend your days working on art and then trying to like figure out how you actually do that <laughs> Be, it, you know it like it seems like he can spend all day every day painting and be very content with that but i don't think i could spend all day every day writing and reading and be content with that so you know how you reconcile the things you do that aren't necessarily productive with yourself is a battle Definitely, and that's actually been something that I've been wrestling with the past few months since completing uh, Negative Space. Uh, it has been kind of, it's those middle times when you're not quite ready to start the next big, like, next big project, um, but you're still feeling kind of restless from having that gap that's opened up that used to be your previous project um, and, and I, mean, I mean the answer really is that it's just kind of a period of, that has to be a period of time to live experience things um, because uh, I don't know at least for myself personally like I, I need to have before I even start working on something. I have to have kind of a backlog of things built up in 
my mind um, to kind of power me through those initial humps. Like, it, it never works with just have sitting down at the blank page. Like, I have to like have have a backlog going of um, ideas and atmospheres and tones uh, to start pulling from. Uh, otherwise, uh, it, it starts coming out like flat. I feel like, or it feels flat. It doesn't feel joyful. Yeah. yeah, I understand that. And, you know, there's to to the sort of you know there there's an effortlessness in you know the style of writing that you know you are taking part in. I feel that can like really easily become forced, like the. Mm. Especially in negative space, the the way that the character Lou talks or, you know, thinks about things. Um, these images of, like, knives and moss and, and stuff like that, that w- when it when writing like that flows at least at least for me when i write something you know even sort of tangentially related to that writing it effortlessly um writing it the way that like a comic strip artist draws is is when it feels the best when it's read later as opposed to like sitting down and writing a replacement cipher you know like i'm gonna make right. i'm gonna make the word anxiety uh you know thunderstorm sort of thing right and to be honest though it, it kind of starts that way um hmm. that that um in particular like lou her, her kind of aspects of her speech and everything um that didn't that was something that emerged kind of midway through uh the process um and so there were it's interesting i i, I take it as like a huge compliment that it reads as though it was effortless because um to be honest there was it, it, a lot of the things in there, uh, it was far, far, far from uh, being kind of effortless. It was, it was a very methodical way of, uh, there ended up being like quite a bit of like work and methodology around sort of finding out um, how she communicated these things in uh, more abstract ways. And it's uh, like a little different from doing like a straight Cipher, but there were a lot of different iterations and finding kind of the right, trying to find what I felt like was the right balance. Um, there were some iterations that were a little more over the top that didn't feel right, and that felt, you know, fraudulent. That felt like it was drawing too much attention to itself. Um, and then I would like bring it down, and it was like, you know, it might go to a part where it just sounds like a standard metaphor. It doesn't sound unique to her voice. Um, and then eventually, you know, after like a lot of shaping and reshaping, um, cutting it up, um, was I was able to find something that felt like a happy medium or where it needed to be. And then from there, with the new material that got generated from that, um, it was great because I was able—I found I was able to write sort of naturally in her voice that didn't need to sort of go through that um, methodological, however that's pronounced, uh, methodical, um, uh, that methodical process. But I think that some, a lot of times, at least for myself, um, it starts with that of your. You're doing different experiments and testing out different things uh, until it feels right. It's not, and you don't necessarily know what's going to feel right until you get there. Hmm. That's interesting, and you know that's that's sort of something I hear a lot. That um, I find I have a hard time with that in my own writing that the sort of like teasing out of things um i don't know if that's just a lack of experience or 
or what. But it's always interesting to hear people talk about that because I almost can't imagine what that's like. Um, it can be incredibly anxiety-inducing, <laughs> to be honest. Um, just when... Because so much of the process for me is... A, there's a matter of trying to keep myself excited because it's not going to happen unless I'm excited or it's going to happen, but it's going to be bad. Um, But what keeps me excited is keeping it, having aspects of unknown. It's having aspects of unfamiliarity. Um, So I have to keep throwing myself these different things that um, put me off balance um, to kind of keep me invigorated to keep the energy there to keep me excited um, so a lot of that is kind of the teasing out like there I, I think that you could have had um, Lou's character in there exist um, and pretty much conveyed the same things without that aspect of her language and that aspect of her perspective and it would have been functional and fine in a lot of ways but that um, having it Having it be a departure was something that kept it fresh and exciting. And I think that there's that's the majority of the book has been kind of just tinkering with different things to keep it um, from feeling familiar, keep it from keeping me off balance, kind of keeping me in the dark. Um, so I don't necessarily know entirely. Kind of going back to going on a rant here, but um, going back to sort of what we were talking about, like coming up with H.P. Lovecraft and sort of horror in general, um, there's a lot of work that talks about, you know, that wants to be talking about the unknown, essentially, like Mm -hmm. uh, capital U unknown. But then they'll it'll try to explain itself, and once you do, it ceases to be. You know, this is elementary, but it ceases to be unknown once it becomes known. So I want to, if I'm talking, if in my own work, if I'm talking about the unknown, I want it to be unknown to myself as well. Mm. Um, otherwise, we're not talking. We're not talking about the unknown. We're talking about something that. Um, is smaller than that. Something that you know doesn't have that uh, that dread and terror to it that the that the unknown, the unknowable has. Yeah, because then you're just a person telling a secret. Otherwise, sort of. Exactly. Mm. I like it. Well, let's. Uh, I guess the last thing I'll. I'll bring up before we we wrap ourselves up is uh, you have another book coming out this year, Pearl Death from Inside the Castle, which was also brought up in in our last interview together. So everything has come full circle now. I like it. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, John Treffery is just a lovely man who puts out lovely, lovely books. Um, so Pearl Death is a book that isn't a book. Uh, it's going to be a deck of cards. Uh, that's going to be, so I'm not sure, uh, do you play many video games or anything? And that, this is probably the closest analogy here. <laughs> I, I'm aware of video games. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, that, that's absolutely fair. Like, I'm... Also, I'm in a position nowadays where I, just because of time, for the most part, um, it's more something, that's more of a region that I'm, like, interested in, but don't spend a lot of actual time with. Um, But there's, uh, I'm not sure if you have heard of or are familiar with a series of games called Dark Souls, Um, but Mm -hmm. they have a, they... I became very infatuated with those games and the way that they uh, told their stories and their narratives just through item descriptions, um, mm. which would have like a little detail about the item and a little bit of its history. Uh, so what Pearl Death is, is essentially a, uh, 
non-linear, uh, very opaque story uh, told through the items, the different items and artifacts from a dead civilization. Um, so that's going to be around 100 cards I think we're doing, and I'm about probably three quarters or two-thirds of the way through with them. But, yeah, very excited to be doing that with John and finding a project for us to do together. Yeah. Wow, that sounds really cool. I'm super excited for that. Uh, awesome. And, and that's that's also, a, it's because you're writing essentially just kind of micro-fiction on each of these cards. It's a lot nice kind of break from necessarily having to do have like a um, you know a full length book um, but there's going to be graphics and images on them and things like that um, I'll be posting more about that once we get closer yeah but yeah very excited for those things yeah that's that's very exciting. So 2020 is going to be a good year for you. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited about it. Awesome. Is there anything else you want to cover? Um, I think that's good. Um, absolutely. No, this is, this has been great. Thanks so much again for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for coming back. Um, I think I think purely um f- uh, from a sort of uh logistic level will forego a reading this time but i encourage anybody who hasn't heard the first uh time we spoke to go back and listen to that episode and um gauge how how nervous and jittery i sound then with now and hopefully there will be a progression but the uh, the end in lists that you you read last time was i think i think worth coming back to i think it'd be interesting to see sort of how that um fits in with 2020 now right absolutely i I feel like you had mentioned uh, that you had had a piece that was very uh similar to that our speaking as well too yeah i think that might be lost at, at this point to to different you know hard drive wipes and crashes and things like that but yeah i, I did a uh, uh end of the world through like clickbait articles it was just like if buzzfeed reported the end of the world sort of thing right right absolutely i feel like i see a lot less you a lot fewer lists um nowadays but maybe i'm just not looking out for them yeah well i mean buzzfeed still still is buzzfeed but i i I think that um uh the i know that in my own sort of media training through my work and whatnot is we try to well my bosses want me to not make things uh, look like they're going to be lists sort of thing so right. so like right. we'll, we'll still have an interview with a doctor that's like here are the five things to eat so that you don't die horribly of a you know a brain aneurysm or whatever um right <laughs> but it's just like it's it's presented differently so the the public has become wise to it to the to the listicle and has become cynical about it so we try to avoid you know making it look like that's what we're doing even though that's still like the far easiest way of writing something that people are going to read oh definitely definitely oh that makes sense that makes sense it's very interesting 